our guest speaker sharing with us today. But this Tuesday night will be the first recovery meeting here at Homestead Community Church, and we are so excited about this. So it's been something Jeff and I have been praying about for years about, Lord, we just want to be um, a help to those that are struggling, and uh, we have just had it on our hearts, and we've just been praying, and in the last six months, we just felt like the time is right, and so this Tuesday night, Homestead Recovery will be starting here, and the amazing part about that is we have a couple in our church, Dennis and Patty Otto, who this is their life's work and their life's mission. They founded All In Ministries, how many years ago? Five years ago. They serve those that are struggling with addiction, um, and so we are so excited they're going to be leading that ministry. And so today, we wanted to take the time to let Dennis come and share his story with you. It is a powerful story of how the Lord took a very broken life and restored it and made something new. And like we were singing about today, now he is doing something incredibly beautiful out of it in the way that their story is now helping others step out of addiction and uh, come into freedom of Christ. So would you please welcome Pastor Dennis Otto. Good morning, everyone. If I'm a little hoarse, it's because I was singing really loud. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thank you for coming and let me share this morning. And I'm going to start off by telling you I was raised in a good home, a good home, good family. Uh, my dad was a hardworking man. My mom stayed home, took care of us kids. And I'm letting you know that because I want you to realize that addiction doesn't care how much money you've got, doesn't care what color you are, doesn't care what your social status is. Addiction doesn't care. Well, I started doing drugs at about 13. I was with uh, my older cousin and some of his friends. Somebody lit up a joint and passed it to me, and I made a choice that day. I made a choice without making a choice. I didn't think about how this little thing could follow me for the rest of my life. I'm 63, and it's still I've got restrictions. I can't own guns, stuff like that. So that little thing, that choice is still following me today. And so for any of you young people, I really want you to think that every choice you make is going to follow you for the rest of your life. Me, I wanted to be like the older boys, so I smoked it. And I believe I was an addict right from the get-go. Uh, soon, if alcohol and drugs weren't a part of it, I wasn't a part of it. My schoolwork started to go down. I lost interest in sports. My family and myself, we fought all the time, and it was because of me. I did manage to graduate. I graduated in 1976. I went to work as a heavy equipment operator. That was my trade throughout my life was a heavy equipment operator, and which was a good job, good paying job. With more money came more drugs, came more alcohol. In 79, it was 78 or 79, I got a DWI. And my lawyer said, Dennis, go to, go to treatment before the judge orders it because it always looks better that way. So I went to Twin Town up in St. Paul. And when I was at treatment, I realized that I had a drinking problem. Drinking is when I black out. Drinking is when I used to I'd get violent, I'd get mad, and I'd fight. Drinking is when I got into trouble, not with drugs. So I made a choice. I quit drinking, not drugs. And then when I got out of treatment, I thought, well, I didn't want to go back to Hastings, because in those days, Hastings was a small town, and I was pretty well known. So I thought, well, I'll just kind of blend in up on the east side of St. Paul. So that's where I moved was the east side. And I started running with a small biker club up there. And then I realized that 
I like doing drugs, but I don't like paying for them. So I started dealing, and I would deal with whatever was in season. It didn't matter, cocaine, weed, acid. I dealt anything and everything. Well, then I met this gal, Shelly. We moved, started dating. We moved in together. Uh, 85, my first son was born, Brandon. That same year, about two months after my son was born, my best friend went down for murder one. He got into a fight like we used to, you know, we enjoyed doing, and he beat a guy to death. So he went to, life, to prison for life, and I remember I was looking at my little guy, Brandon, laying in his crib one night, and I'm thinking to myself, this, this isn't who I am. This isn't how I was raised. I'm a country boy. So Brandon and Shelly and myself, we moved back to Hastings. And when I moved back to Hastings, I quit my drug dealing. I left it. I wanted to change. I wanted to step out and do something different because now I'm a dad. So we, I started working hard, paying bills, raising my family. Shelly and I got married. A year or so later, our second son, Ryan, was born. <clears throat> and really, I mean, we still did a little drugs here and there. But the harder drugs like the cocaine and meth and stuff really got to be more recreational. Every once in a while, we'd go for a weekend and party. Well, in 1990, my little girl was born, Danica. And I got to tell you, I love my boys. I've got four of them. I love all of them. But as a dad, when you hold that little girl in your hands for the first time, something changes. Something changes with the little girl. And it did in me. Well, I bought a house in Hampton. Nice house, you know. And I thought, man, on the outside, my life looked like I had it all together. Had a nice house, nice family, two boys, a girl. I was a strong member of my community. You know, Hampton's right over there. I was the mayor of the town. I was captain of the fire department. I'm state certified firefighter. On the outside, everything looked good. On the inside, my marriage was a mess. My wife wouldn't come home at night, some nights, times, two, three nights. And I didn't know why. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I was working hard. I was paying the bills. I was providing for my family. I didn't know what to, what to do. So I just poured my life into my kids. Well, one night I come home from work, and this was, Danica was three and a half, four years old at the time. I come home from work one night, and Shelly goes, uh, Dennis, I've got something to tell you, but I'm going to wait until Friday when Terry and Jan, some friends of ours, come over. She goes, I want their moral support. Woo! So all night, I'm trying to guess what it is. You know, I even asked her at one point, I said, did you sleep with someone? And she goes, no, it's worse than that. Well, that night, I'm sitting on the couch watching the news. I mean, I, TV was on. My head was, wasn't into the news. My daughter, Danica, she was laying on my lap. She'd always fall asleep on my lap at night. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, it hit me, guys. It hit me really hard. I looked at my little girl, and I looked at Shelly, and I said, is she mine? And she got up and bolted. Sorry. And I knew at that moment my little girl was, wasn't mine. It was like somebody took her. It's like she was gone. And I lost control. I lost it. I lost it big time. 
And folks, I want you to understand something. My little girl's my little girl. I don't care whose DNA she's got. She's mine. And I pity the person that tries to take her. <laughs> but I left. I had to leave because I'm, I was the type of guy that if I hurt, my first instinct was to hurt somebody else because that's what made me feel better. So I left and I went and I got babysat by a friend of mine, somebody to watch me so I didn't kill somebody or kill myself. A couple days later, I know I got to go home and face it. So I go home and I talk to my wife and I tell her, I said, Shelly, if I kick you out, I said, the only ones that are going to hurt, get hurt are the kids. I said, now that I know why our marriage has been a sham for the last four years, I said, let's go to counseling and work on it. We went to one counseling session. We never went back. She didn't want to go. A couple months later, she wasn't coming home again. She had another boyfriend, a different one. So we got divorced. I filed for divorce. <clears throat> I kept the house because, I mean, I, could, I paid her off and stuff. But she moved in with her new boyfriend anyhow. And those were some really tough times. I'd walk around. I had a big four-bedroom house. It was completely empty. I'd come home from work at night, and I'd walk around. I'd cry. I'd scream. I'd yell. I didn't even know who I was yelling at. So I told my boss. I knew we had work in the Dakotas. We had work in Iowa, some in Wisconsin. I told Irv. I said, Irv, you got to get me out of town. I said, if I have to keep going home to that empty house, I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to lose it. So he put me down in Okaboji, Iowa. Second or third night down there, I went to a strip club with some of the guys after work. And I started to do something I haven't done in 16, 17 years. I started to drink again. And I didn't just drink. I drank. I was doing straight shots of Jack Daniels. Those were my first drinks after 16, 17 years. I don't know how long it was, but all of a sudden the bouncer was on the floor. I'm on top of him. People pull me off of him. I leave. I walk up the street to another bar, and the same thing happened to another guy. And, you know, these guys didn't have a clue what they were dealing with. I wasn't fighting these guys. I was fighting what was inside of me. It was me that I was fighting. Well, I started dealing drugs to the strippers and everybody else again. And I just started going crazy. And the only thing that really kept me halfway normal was that every two weeks I got my kids. And when I got my kids, I was completely sober. There was nothing being done around my kids. And I gave my kids a great weekend. The problem is, is they'd go home and tell their mom how much fun they had at dad's house. And my ex-wife started to tell them stories about me, about when I ran with the bikers up in the east side of St. Paul, stuff that my little kids didn't need to hear. And my kids quit coming out to my house. And now this isn't a bash my ex-wife day. It is not. Because all the choices I made were my choices. Yes, life happened to me and part of it sucked. But the choices I made were mine, not my ex-wife. They were mine. And there's some people in here I know that need to hear this. I hate excuses. Own up to what you choose. You know, so... My kids quit coming out, and I really started going downhill fast. Then I was in, introduced to this new drug called red phosphorus fluff, a methamphetamine. And that stuff rocked me, so I started dealing it. Well, the guy I was buying my drugs from, he ended up, his house got raided, so him and his girlfriend went to jail, and he had enough money to bail himself out, but not his girlfriend, so he came to me. And I bailed her out. 
And then I told him, I said, well, you can't go back to your house, so why don't you move in with me? I've got this huge house, you know, empty. Come move in with me. And so they did. And for doing that, he taught me how to manufacture this drug. So now I'm making it, I'm selling it, uh, and life was really going crazy. Then I was introduced to some one percenters, a biker club, and I don't know if you know what a one percenter is, but they're, they're like the Hells Angels, the Mongols, the Outlaws. The, they're the worst of the worst. And so I started hanging out with them. I was, I was what you would call a hangaround. I made good drugs, and that's what they wanted. But my best friend, he was a patch holder with them, and he lived with me for like a year and a half. Life was really crazy then. These guys are nuts. Well, then I got on the radar screen of the Dakota County Drug Task Force team. Wasn't that long after that, I was sentenced to 110 months in prison. My charges were first-degree manufacturing, first-degree distribution, and a felon in possession of firearms. I was classified as a violent criminal. And when I got to prison, I tried to live up to that classification for the first year or so. Can't get going. Sorry. I get really nervous when I talk. I walked out of prison two weeks before my 48th birthday. And I, was, I wanted to be a different man. I didn't want to be the man I was before I went to prison. I definitely didn't want to be the man that I was while I was in prison. The problem is, folks, I started doing drugs at 13. I didn't know who I was. I didn't have a clue who I was. Well, I was on intense supervised release, so I had to go to uh, NA or AA for a year. So I started going to NA. And then I met Patty. Now, when I met Patty, we were going to the same meeting. We, we went out to coffee or something one night, and I just kind of grinned at her. And I told her, I said, you're going to end up dating me. I, was, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm charming. I really am. <laughs> well, we started to date. And you got to remember, Patty was raised in an all-Christian home. She fell away, you know, got into drugs and stuff. Uh, and then she meets me. So we start dating. Our first son, what's your name again? <laughs> Our first son, Caden, was born. We move in together. And well, oh, wait, I better back up just a hair. When Patty got pregnant with Caden, that's when her all Christian family found out about me. <laughs> I didn't get no Christmas cards. <laughs> You know, and I, I know people have come up to me and said, hey, we were praying for you way back when. I think they were praying I would disappear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they were, they were cautious. I mean, if I would have came around my daughter, I, we would have had a talk, <laughs> you know. But uh, I'm 19 years older, just got out of prison, you know, had a low-paying, non-union construction job. I mean, was, what wasn't there to like, you know. And I did not know God. Well, we're living together. Caden's born and stuff. We go out to eat one night with her family. And I'd go to her family functions, even though I know they didn't necessarily care for me a whole lot. Well, one night, I'm sitting at the end of a table. And Patty's brother-in-law, Matt Langawa, is sitting across the table from me. And I could tell he was looking at me. 
you know, he's kind of staring at me, and I'm just saying, dude, what are, you, you know, what are you looking at me for, you know? And all of a sudden, he looks, he goes, Dennis, where are you at spiritually? And my first thought was, who the heck talks like this? <laughs> you know? I mean, nobody's ever asked me that question before. And so I'm, come, I'm going to think of some smart aleck comment, you know? And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. And the voice said, Dennis, for once in your life, be honest. Now, folks, I've done a lot of drugs. And I've probably seen a few things that weren't there. But this is the first time I ever heard voices. And I was sober. So I was honest. I looked at Matt and I said, Matt, I've been living in hell my whole life. I said, I hope when I die, it's better than this. Matt never preached to me. He never told me what I had to do. He just started asking me questions. He goes, Dennis, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? And I told Matt, I said, Matt, I said, the things I've done, the things I've seen done, and the things what I've heard other people have done, I said, it's really hard for me to believe there's a God out there that lets this go on. And I said, Matt, if there is a God, I see good people, good people. Pastor Anthony, great man, died last night. But I see good people, yet their little boy's dying of cancer, their daughter gets hit by a drunk driver or something and killed. I said, if God's not out there helping good people, why the hell would he do anything for a man like me? To me, it didn't make any sense. Why would God do anything for somebody like me? We talked. And at the end of the night, Matt goes, Dennis, if I give you a book, would you read it? And I said, yes. So he gives me a book called One Heartbeat Away by Mark Cahill. I read it in a couple of nights. And at the back of the book, he had two prayers, a prayer of condemnation and a prayer of salvation. And he said, if you don't pray the prayer of salvation, by default, you pray the prayer of condemnation. Well, guys, I've been living that prayer my whole life. I was tired. So I got down on my knees and I gave my life to Christ. And I've got friends that tell me, you know, that were born Christian. They don't really even remember when they gave their life to Christ. Well, I do. It was March 15, 2010, about 9.20 at night. Because when I gave my life to Christ, I felt different. I felt, I felt whole. That hole I've been trying to fill with drugs and alcohol and violence and women was full for the first time in my life. And I felt it. I felt the love of Jesus for the first time in my life. Next morning, I get up and I call Matt. I said, Matt, I did it. And he right away, he said, what did you do now? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I gave my life to Christ. Well, he picked me up, bought me a Bible. Four days later, he's got me sitting at celebration dinner at Alpha at River Valley Church, who the leader was Pastor Anthony. So I'm at this, I don't Alpha is like a course for Christians, beginning teaching you about what it is to be a Christian. But I'm there, and these people, there had to be 100 to 150 people there, and they were nice people. I wasn't used to being around people that I, they were all happy. They were coming up and hugging me. Even, even guys were hugging me, which was kind of uncomfortable because <laughs> we didn't do a lot of that in the penitentiary. <laughs> but, when <I> left that, <laughs> but when I left that place at night, I felt good. I did. So Patty and I, Kate and we started attending River Valley Church. I started serving it. Hey, if you want to get plugged in, start serving. That's where you're going to get plugged in. 
uh, I started serving and everything. And uh, Pastor Jeff was doing a, uh, a message at River Valley at the time on 103, uh, Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so as our transgressions are from us, whatever. I probably butchered it. I knew it this morning. <laughs> but uh, so he had me do my video testimony at River Valley. And uh, right after that, people were coming up to me saying, Dennis, would you talk to my dad, my brother, my husband, people that were struggling with addiction. So really, I started ministry way back in 2010. And Jeff, you were the start of it. But uh, everything was going good. Patty and I got married that fall. The next year, this one here was born. <laughs> Noah. <laughs> but uh, we bought a house out in Apple Valley and stuff, and everything's going good. Well, one morning, it was December 3rd, 2014, I'm getting ready to go ice fishing. If you don't know me, or if you do know me, you know I love to ice fish. And I was putting my socks on, and all of a sudden I get this pain in my chest. And the pain was very serious. And so I dialed 9-1. You know, I'm not going to hit the other one unless I'm dying for sure, you know. And, uh, but I'm sitting on the couch, just kind of sitting there like this with my thumb over the other one, thinking, okay, what's hap going to happen? And I realized that our doors were locked. Patty and Noah were out doing errands. Caden was in school. And I thought, our doors are locked. And if I have to hit the other one, I don't want them to have to kick my door in. So I got up to unlock my front door. And I made it like five feet. And I collapsed to the floor. My legs wouldn't move anymore. And I said, oh, shoot, you know. That's what I'm saying today. <laughs> <laughs> but I crawled to the door. I unlocked the front door. And I just sat there waiting for the EMTs to get there. They come, and this little gal, she comes, and she put wires on me. And so, well, she was all happy. Dennis, you didn't have a heart attack. Well, by this time, the pain was gone. So I said, good, I'm going fishing. <laughs> and she starts, oh, Dennis, no, I feel you should really go to the hospital. I said, no, 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 the fish are biting. And uh, so we start talking, and we're arguing back and forth. And she goes, well, Dennis, obviously something happened. And I said, well, maybe it was gas. And she goes, Dennis, you're sitting on the floor. And I said, ask my wife, sometimes it's bad gas. <laughs> but then Patty and Noah come home, and I went to the, decided to go to the hospital. And for you married folks, I don't have to tell you why I decided to go to the hospital. <laughs> but on the way to the hospital, she kept telling me, Dennis, it's a good thing you're coming to the hospital because your blood pressure is dropping steadily. Well, I get to the hospital, they do a CT scan, and the doctor comes and says, Dennis, you need to get to the university right now. And he said, the issue we're having is the helicopter's already out, and by the time it gets back, it might be too late. So I looked at him, and I said, Doc, tell, give it to me straight. What am I looking at? And he said, Dennis, if you make it to the hospital, you've got a fighting chance. That's what his voice told me. His eyes told me I was already dead, and I knew it. I knew I was a dead man. But they don't know who I've got in my corner. So in the ambulance, I'm talking to God. And I told him, I said, God, if you want to take me home, I said, I'm ready. Let's go. I said, but, I started telling him how the deal is going to work. <laughs> I said, I read in the Bible that says you'll take care of the orphans and the widows. Well, my boys were six and three, my young wife and stuff. So I said, okay, you take me home. I'm going to hold you to your word, you know. <laughs> don't, don't make me mad. <laughs> but uh, then I told him, I said, God, but if you want me to stay, I will stay and do whatever you ask. 
well, obviously I survived, but I had an aortic dissection. My aorta split going into my heart. I had a 14 hour surgery. They took veins out of my legs, rebuilt arteries around my heart. Then they had me in a coma for five days. It was a tough recovery, but I made it. But one night, Gal come over to cut my hair when I was not in very good shape. But uh, I was at, we went to River Valley Church one night, and Pastor Pam Johnson come up to me after and goes, Dennis, do you think you'll ever be able to do construction again? And I said, I don't know. And she goes, well, you've been working with men for years, you know, on the side. She goes, I've always thought you would make a good pastor. And when she said that, something, it lit a spark inside of me. So I talked to T Topper and a few other pastors, Dave Phillips and stuff, found out what courses they took, and I went home and I started looking at them. The problem was, was I was the one that brought the uh, money home for, Patty was a stay-at-home mom. Well, my temporary disability from my heart stuff didn't even cover our mortgage. So I don't have to tell you, you know, what our finances were looking like. Well, these courses were like 110 bucks, and I think we had like 130, 140 in the bank. So I bought the course, and then I told Patty. <laughs> she was, you know, yeah, I'm surprised every morning when I wake up alive. <laughs> but I told her, I said, Patty, I said, if this is what God wants, he'll make a way. If not, we'll spend time over at your mom and dad's eating. <laughs> the next morning, Sarah and Tony come over. And I told them what I did, and right away, Tony said, let Sarah and I bless you and pay for all your courses. He wrote out a check for all the courses, even the one I paid for the night before. And I started crying. If you haven't noticed, I cry a lot. I looked at Patty, and I said, I think God just spoke. Well, I went back to work and stuff, and I did take courses. I got my pastor credentials from the Assemblies of God in 2016. And all the while, I knew God had more for me than just running a backhoe. I always knew it, but I kept pushing them, pushing them away. Well, in the spring of 2017, I was talking to a pastor, and I was telling him what I was feeling, Pastor Dave Engman, and I was telling him how I was feeling. Well, he prayed over me that morning, and all in ministries came to my head so strongly, I knew that's what I was supposed to be doing. Now, to go talk to my wife about it. <laughs> I get home, and I... And Patty knows what I'm doing and my thoughts and stuff. And I said, Patty, I've got a few questions for you. She sits down and I said, do you think I'm a man of God doing the best I can? I'm not perfect, right? <laughs> but I'm doing the best I can. And she goes, yes. And I said, do you believe men, men that are struggling like I once did? Do you believe that's my ministry? And she said, yes. And I said, well, there's just one more question. And she starts going, you know, talking, we don't have the money, we, you know, we got mortgage, and we didn't have no money in the bank, all this stuff. And everything she said was legitimate. She was not exaggerating. But I stopped her. I said, Patty, just hold it. I didn't ask you the question yet. So she got quiet, and I said, do you believe, or I said, do you, or do we trust God? And she starts getting revved up again, and I said, well, Patty, I said, that's a yes or no answer only. If somebody asks you, do you trust God, it's not yes, if, yes, but, yes, when. It's yes or no. That's it. Two answers. She looked at me. She said yes. Well, I quit my job a short time after, and we started all in ministries. And you guys, I didn't know nothing about a board of directors. I didn't know nothing about a 501c3. I'm a farmer construction worker. I know none of this stuff. But I started working with men. 
And it's five years ago, and the ministry has just thrived. It has just thrived. I, I'm, I, I look back, and I just, what God has done, and it's not me, believe it. I'm just amazed. And now we're, I'm all in ministries, and it is in four treatment centers, the jails, Goodyear County Drug Court. I've got a, a district judge that sends me happy Thanksgiving messages over my phone and stuff. <laughs> That's weird, man. <laughs> But life is so good, and now the biggest announcement is all in ministries is now all in for all people. My wife now is starting to work with women, and I know there's a few other gals in the church that I would love. <laughs> you know, so the ministry is going great, and now we're going to work with women also, and I'm just excited to see what God has got in store for us. Remember I told you when I was in the ambulance, I told God, if you want me to stay, I'll stay and do whatever you ask. I really believe that right now I am doing exactly what God wants. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to be a mess. <laughs> Jesus changes everything. He just does. And hearing stories like this is so important for all of us to realize that situations that look totally hopeless, but the grace of God can come and do things that we could never imagine. And so I know that many of you are facing things that feel impossible. Maybe Dennis's story resonates with you when it comes to just that hurt and that pain. And it might be going sideways in addiction. It might be someone you love struggling with addiction. It might be just feeling like, God, I don't, I'm losing hope that anything can ever get different. The Bible tells us to share the testimonies, to share our stories, because something happens inside of us when we can see the fruit of the faithfulness of God. We can see what he has done. This is not the same person anymore. And what is so cool about how God works is not only did he redeem and restore this family, but now he takes beauty for ashes. He turns it into something amazing, and their story is helping people. And so as we wrap up today, I'd just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute. I don't know, today maybe you're just at that point where you're like, you know what, something's got to change. I feel stuck. I feel hopeless. And so the first question I would ask you today is the same question that was asked of Dennis. How are you doing spiritually? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He is the answer for everything. And if you've never invited him into your life, today is your day. So I'm going to ask you, if that's you today, and you're saying, today's my day, I'm going to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. You can raise your hand and say, today is the day, God, that I want to start a relationship with you. Awesome. And maybe today some of you are saying, Lord, I need help. I need help. I've been trying on my own. I've been trying 
to change things. I've been trying to get out of these habits and cycles, and it's just not working, and I need your help. If you are facing a desperate situation or something, and today you just need the help of the Lord, would you raise your hand today? There's something you're asking God for? Yeah. We believe the power of God is big enough to help any circumstance that you are facing. So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. God, this is not something that we just come and talk about and sing about. And it's just a nice story. There is power in Jesus Christ. God, you take impossible circumstances and you turn them around for good. You take things that seem impossible in our own eyes and you do something we could never imagine. And so, Lord, today we stand with these brothers and sisters who have raised their hand, who are looking at an impossible situation. God, I thank you that today our faith has been built up because we can see the fruit of how you have done this in the past. And we believe the truth that you are the same God and you will move again in our hearts and in our minds and in our circumstances. And so, Lord, today help our trust to grow. Help our faith to grow. Lord, I pray for any person who's just begun to, to feel hopeless in their situation. I pray that today, God, hope would arise. And they would believe that you are working. And they would see the faithfulness of God in their situation. We love you, God. Thank you for being so trustworthy, so faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have some of these cards. We invite you to join on Tuesday night, if this is something that would be helpful for you, come. We'd love to have you come. If you know some people that maybe you would like to invite to come, we printed cards so that you have something you can grab and maybe give to a friend or family member and invite them to come. This Tuesday night at 7 o'clock will be our launch of our recovery meeting. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. We love you. Have a great week. Oh, oh yes. If you want to support the work of Dennis and Patty Otto, so they are ministry based on the donations of others. So we as a church support them monthly, but I would encourage you if this is something you want to get behind, every dollar that you give to support them monthly helps that ministry to be able to do more and more and more. And so we want to make sure that you know about that. So you can give in the offering, you can give online and designate it towards all in ministries. But this is, this is a ministry worth getting behind and supporting. So you can do that as well. Okay, now you can leave. Bye. Have a great week.